we would like to do for you at this time a brand new composition of ours written about a mythical young man of rather dubious character while we do a little thing we call filthy magnasty <laughs> Yeah, that was one of my first Horace Silver albums. Horace Silver live at the Village Gate. The tune was Filthy McNasty. A few years ago, moving around from place to place, I unearthed a copy of an interview I did with Horace Silver in 1978. That's over 42 years ago. I finally recorded the interview. It held up and some of Horace Silver's comments you will hear tonight on Bobby P's House of Vinyl, Classical Jazz and Latin Sides. But, I, you know, I've always more or less been into the, the blowing, kind of hard-driving blowing type of thing in, in music. Really, I prefer to, to play with some horns and blow, you know, and cook, you know. <laughs> In 1978, I did the interview with Horace Silver. I brought it back to my apartment and I realized to my dismay that I didn't record any of the interview. The interview was a bust. I called up Horace Silver the next day. He was a really sweet guy on the phone. He realized my problems and he said, don't worry about it, man. I'll come down to your place. So the next day, Horace Silver arrived at my little penthouse apartment on the Lower East Side and we did the interview. This is Horace Silver in 1978 talking about how he got started in the early 50s in Connecticut. During that period of time, I got a gig up in Hartford, Connecticut at a club there, and I had a trio there with uh, Walter Bolin on drums and Joe Calloway on bass. And Stan Getz uh, was up there one night. They, on jam session night, they used to hire uh, somebody from New York you know, to come up. You know, and uh, Stan was up there, and Stan liked our trio. 
and he said he was going to call us, you know. Sure enough, about two, three weeks later, the phone rang, and it was him, and he wanted us to join, it, join him, and uh, we did join him. And uh, I was with him for about a year, and it was a very beautiful experience. That's Stan Getz playing Pennies from Heaven. Horace then was in New York City, and like jazz musicians in the 50s, made his mark by just playing around. After I left Stan's band, I, I got a gig playing at the Paradise Bar and Grill down on 110th Street and 8th Avenue with uh, Big Nick Nicholas, which was a hell of a training ground for me because uh, all the guys used to come in there to sit in and blow uh, Bird and uh, Ike Quebec, uh, Sonny Stitt, Gene Ammons. A lot of people came in and jam, you know. <laughs> At a certain point, Horace played Ed Minton's Playhouse, where Bud Powell, Thelonious Monk, Dizzy, and Bird got their reputations in bebop started. I played at uh, uh, Minton's uh, Playhouse uh, several times. I played there uh, with Eddie Lockjaw Davis, and then I played there with uh, Tony Scott and his quartet. You're listening to one of Horace Silver's early recordings playing with the trio. It's called Opus Defunct. Alfred Lyon, the president of Blue Note Records, saw a lot of potential in Horace Silver's playing, and he asked him what he would like to do for his third album. Lyons had the vision to call this Horace Silver and the Jazz Messengers. And uh, Alfred Lyon wanted me to do a third album. So I said, well, look, this time I'd like to do, uh, not trio, but I'd like to do something with horns. He said, well, I want to use Kenny Durham, and I want to use uh, my bass player, Doug Watkins, and uh, I want to get Art Blakey on drums, and uh, Hank Mobley, my, my tenor player. Out of that uh, arose the uh, first sessions with the Jazz Messengers. And we went and did the first 10-inch album, which had uh, doodling on it.
Doodlin was a big hit on the Horace Silver and the Jazz Messengers album, but more importantly, The Preacher was also a big smash. Preacher, uh, uh, it just had a, a, a flavor to it of, of a church type of thing, you know, it's, and it had that flavor of of, uh, of something funky or, or funky kind of gospel kind of flavor to it. That's why I called it the preacher. At this point, Horace's career looked like it was going to take off. So the Jazz Messengers changed his name from Horace Silver to Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers recorded 20 albums on the Blue Note records, including, with Horace Silver, some live recordings at Birdland and the Cafe Bohemia. We got uh, two weeks' work at Birdland, in which we did those records, the Night at Birdland records, with uh, Clifford Brown and uh, Curly Russell Art and uh, Lou Donaldson and myself. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we have something special down here at Birdland this evening. A recording featuring the new trumpet sensation, Clifford Brown. Horace Silver on piano. How about a big hand now? Ford Reggae! Thank you Clifford was, uh, you know, not only a great musician, but a great person. Uh, that is, he had a great personality, a very down-to-earth, even personality, you know. I mean, uh, there are a lot of great musicians and uh, there are a lot of egotists among some of them. You know, he was humble. I mean, he knew he could play, you know. He knew he was great. Clifford Brown, the phenomenal trumpet player, was accidentally killed in a car accident when he was 25 years old. You know, he was just down to earth and regular and, and a humble cat. And when he got up there to play, he was phenomenal. Just set the band on fire every night.
the unmistakable sound of Horace Silver soloing. Nobody sounded like Horace Silver. I wondered who were some of the people that Horace Silver listened to as he became interested in jazz. But I got so involved in jazz, you know, and uh, I guess I was about, you know, 12 or something, maybe 13 or something. The earliest uh, things I listened to was uh, Boogie Woogie, blues. I used to go in the Woolsworth Five and Tenson store and buy some of their old 78s on Vocalion records, mm -hmm. Slim and Slam, and Flatfoot Fluji with the Floyd Floyd, Tutti Fruity and all that stuff. Flatfoot Fluji with Floyd Floyd, Flatfoot Fluji with Floyd Floyd, Flatfoot Fluji with Floyd Then Count Basie, One O'Clock Jump, Basie, Duke, I had some old down south blues singers, Lil Green, uh, Petey Wheatstraw, Memphis Slim, stuff like that, you know, I, I dug all of that. And let's not forget the black gospel music that Horace heard over the radio. I didn't have any of the records, but I used to listen to the radio programs late at night when they come on the radio, you know, singing the, the church music, the black uh, gospel church music. When I first started listening to jazz, Horace Silver's piano style really struck a bell with me. His music was really simple, it was very rhythmic, it was totally different than all the other bebop players from that era. Well, the word funky uh, means something bluesy, something, uh, as they say, down home. It has a blues flavor or a blues tint to it, you know. Most of the uh, jazz musicians, or the young guys who were playing the bebop, were playing a more sophisticated type of jazz. You know, they were uh, playing a lot of notes. Uh, but I, I guess from going back to my earlier uh, influences from the boogie woogie and the blues and the gospel and all of that, uh, it seeped through, I suppose, and I injected uh, uh, some more blues uh, uh, flavor, I guess, into my music, you know, and it came out what the critics call soul music, you know, that's what they termed it. <laughs> Horace Silver's piano solo on Blowing Away the Blues from the Blue Note LP, Blowing Away the Blues. Ironically, at age 15, Horace decided to take up the tenor sax in addition to the piano. He liked Lester Young. Figured I'd take up the saxophone because I always have uh, idolized Lester Young. And I used to practice every day with Lester Young records, you know, trying to get his sound. But as it turns out, Horace Silver actually played with Lester Young in jazz clubs in America. Well, I, I played with him for about four or five months, you know. We worked Boston together, and Lester called everybody lady, you know. There were, there were a lot of people who thought Lester was effeminate, but he was not, you know. Uh, but he was such a beautiful, sensitive soul that uh, when he expressed himself musically, he, his motions of his body and, and everything that came out of his horn was was so feminine, you know, because it, it was the sensitivity and beauty coming out in his music and, and his body movements and everything, you know.
The tenor was okay with Horace Silver, but it was actually jazz composition and the writing of jazz tunes that became Horace's main focus in life. Couldn't do it all, you know, it just required too much time, and I was trying to do the writing in between, and uh, finally I just decided to, to hang it up, uh, hang the tenor up, you know, I, I couldn't do it all. Around 1956, Horace Silver started his quintet. The first album was Six Pieces of Silver on Blue Note Records. The thing about Horace Silver is not only was he a great piano player, he was a terrific composer of compositions. There's just a number of great snappy ensemble pieces that as a young listener caught my attention. So what I thought I'd do is I would just play you a little of these compositions, just ahead of them, so you can get to feel what Horace Silva was able to do. Blue Note Records, Horoscope, Blowing Away the Blues, Doing the Thing, Song for My Father, Silver Serenade, so many Blue Note Records. And while this was all going on, Horace Silver actually accompanied other musicians, musicians such as Miles Davis. Well, I guess I met Miles Davis uh, sometime during the course of my work in Birdland on and off with various people, and he heard me playing down there, you know, so... Uh, then uh, he also moved into the same hotel that I was staying in at that time. I was living at the Arlington Hotel. I had a piano in my room. He used to come by my room and, and play on my piano, you know. And 
show me some things, you know. And then he asked me to do a session with him. On the way to the studio, a lot of times in the taxi, I would, I would say, well, Miles, what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to play? And we get there, and he'd go over in the corner somewhere, and, and like he's in a, like a boxer would go into his corner, you know, and, and look like he'd put his head down and meditate for a few minutes while the drums are sitting up and the other horns or whatever's getting in tune. Then he'd come out of the corner and, and tell you what to play, you know, and bam, we got a, a beautiful little head arrangement, you know. <laughs> blues that we did called Blue Haze. It was just uh, the last tune on the session and we didn't know what to play so we said, he said well let's play some blues. But we tried it that way you know we tried to just play some blues and it wasn't working. So he had the smarts to uh, set up a move you know he told the, the engineer to turn all the lights out in the studio and he was sitting on a little chair with his cap pulled down over his head and Percy took his shoes off and uh, I unbuttoned my collar, and everybody just got relaxed, you know. And we got into it, and it was just mellow all the way through. You know, he, he set up the mood for it, which was so beautiful. been a joy working with him and it's always been a schooling you know working with him he's such a, a knowledgeable musician and everything that you learn from him is not always spoken you know I mean some things are spoken because he's you know showed me some things under the piano that he, he wanted me to play behind him you know but other things were just unspoken just by observing you know you learn some things too and uh, he's, a, he's a great teacher <laughs>
Nika's Dream, I wrote and dedicated to uh, the Baroness uh, Nika Koningswater. You're listening to Horace Silver's piano solo on Nika's Dream, a composition that he wrote on the Horoscope album. Horace now explains how Nika's Dream came to be. Nika's Dream, particular time, uh, I guess I was going through uh, some sort of a emotional problem, you know. One night we were playing, I think at Basin Street West, did they call it, I think, or something. And uh, she was in there listening to us. And uh, she said, uh, Horace, what's wrong? You know, you don't look like you You feel all right. You don't look too well tonight or something. Or, you know, and I said, well, nothing, you know. And she wormed it out of me, you know. Kind of uh, gave me a, a lot of motherly advice at that time, you know, and so I was, I wrote the tune soon after that, and uh, I dedicated it to her as sort of appreciation for, you know, being kind to me. Horace Silver was a great student of music, and every chance he got, he would listen to music and try to incorporate that music into his own. I used to listen to a lot of Latin groups uh, down at Birdland when I played down there, you know, they had always had two bands, sometimes they had three bands down there, and uh, we worked down there a lot of times opposite uh, Tito Puente and, or opposite Machito. And uh, those cats cook, you know, the, rhythmically, you know. That's the main thing that I, I dug about the uh, uh, Afro-Cuban, you know, is the rhythm. Because the rhythm cooked. <laughs> When he played at Birdland on 52nd Street, right up from Birdland was the famous Latin club called the Palladium. Horace Silver used the Palladium and the music there to influence his own. We'd like to uh, continue right now and do another original composition for you. This one is somewhat in the Latin vein. We sincerely hope you enjoy a little thing we call the Gringo. In 1962, Horace Silver toured Japan, and he had the same experience in Tokyo. We toured Japan, I believe it was in 1962, I think it was, if my memory serves me correct, somewhere around and through there. They treated us so royally over there. Uh, it was the first time that I ever really felt that I was really a star, you know, the kind of red carpet treatment they gave us over there. And when I came back, I said, I've got to write one tune and dedicate it to the Japanese people. You know, they've been so kind to us over here. Thank you. 
The Horace Silver story would not be complete unless we mention the song that made him most famous. It's called Song for My Father. Well, my father uh, plays a little guitar and violin, but he uh, loves music and uh, he plays the type of folk music uh, from the part of the world that he comes from. Now, he comes from uh, the Cape Verde Islands, which are a small group of islands off the west coast of Africa. from my father Horace's most famous composition was again inspired by a trip that he made, this time to Brazil. Well, song from my father, uh, how I got that tune together, I uh, went on a vacation to Brazil. I had met Sergio Mendes in New York here before he became popular, and uh, Sergio invited me to come to Brazil to see Carnival. I spent three weeks down there, and I stayed at his home. While I was down there, I, I uh, used to go by a couple of the clubs down there where the guys were playing and sit in and jam with them, you know. And I got uh, sort of indoctrinated to this uh, bossa nova beat. And I sat down and I tried to write something and I came up with this melody. I said to myself, well, gee, the, the, the rhythm is Brazilian, it's bossa nova, but that melody doesn't sound Brazilian. It sounds more like uh, Cape Verdean. It sounds like something that my dad would play from his country, you know. I'll dedicate it to dad. So that's, I called it Song for My Father.
the unmistakable sound of Horace Silver. I think the beauty of his playing can be attributed to his family and his upbringing back in Connecticut. Well, my uncles from the Cape Verde Islands who used to live in our town used to come by my dad's house and they'd have jam sessions, you know. Right. They'd often have uh, house parties, kitchen parties, you know. And uh, when I was a little boy, I remember they used to have these kitchen parties and the, the wives would uh, cook and on a Friday or a Saturday night or something, they'd invite uh, neighbors and they'd have a party and they'd eat and they'd drink and, uh, and dance uh, to their type of music from, from their country, you know. I must have been 20 years old when I first heard the Horace Silver Quintet live at Crawford's Grill in the Hills District in Pittsburgh. Horace on piano, Lewis Hayes on drums, Gene Taylor on the bass, Junior Cook on the saxophone, and Blue Mitchell on the trumpet. This was live hard bop music, and I heard it at Crawford's Grill.
Horace Silver died in 1985. I was at his memorial service on the Lower East Side. I love the blues, I love uh, gospel, I love Latin, and, and, and uh, I want the music to remain pure, you know, the music has to always remain pure. Listen to Melancholy Mood by Horace Silver from Blowing Away the Blues. This is Bobby P's House of Vinyl with an interview on the late Horace Silver. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, Horace Silver, one of a kind. I'll catch you guys later. Thank you.